Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it might be. Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi, episode 52. It's been about two weeks. I needed a little freshener myself, but back and about to hit the ground running. Of course, the main topic of this show is the 2021 Belmont Stakes. We're only a couple of days away of the 153rd running. So who better to get the opinion of the current field as well as the fields of all the other stakes events planned for that Saturday than the Queen of Naira herself, Maggie Wolfendale. Of course, her extensive knowledge of the New York racing circuit, as well as her sharp eye in the paddock, have really made her a mainstay up in New York. So we're so excited to talk with her once again. And as always, we tend to go off topic uh, once every now and then, but it always stays informative. And you sure do learn something about different th- training methods, as well as horse temperance and physicality. I couldn't be happier to have Maggie Wolfendale joining me once again on Talk Racing to Me. A small hiatus, but who better to kick off the dust than Maggie? And Maggie, we were talking beforehand, so figured we'd better start recording. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, and it's so great to catch up with you. It always is. And I want to know, you know, from your end, how is it in New York? How is Belmont at present? What is normally the lead up to the Belmont weekend? Like, I know what it's like at Preakness. We have lots of people in the stakes barn and everyone's relaxed and everyone have is having a good time. What are the vibes up in New York? Well, there's the first thing that's kind of different from the Preakness, because I've obviously experienced a lot of Preaknesses in my time of being from Maryland is that it's a lot more uh, intimate and it's smaller. And as you said, everybody kind of, you know, gathers at the at the stakes barn, whereas Belmont is expansive. And you notice the excitement, but it's not quite as tangible as it might be at Pimlico. Um, but I'll tell you what, it certainly is tangible after the year that we had last year where there wasn't anything. It was crickets. And there's this certain buzz that has reemerged this year that is so welcome and so nice. And just it just purely makes you happy and happy to be involved in racing. And so the weather doesn't look fantastic, but we are going to roll with it as best as we can. It looks great for Saturday, but all the horses are here, the horses from uh, Kentucky, from California, and getting to watch them train and their connections being here. It just, it feels like your typical triple crown, despite the fact that we don't have a triple crown on the line. I was nodding beforehand when you were saying how large uh, Belmont is, and then I was shaking my head when you were saying that the weather wasn't going to be as good, because I am looking forward to attending the Belmont Stakes on Saturday, but it it is supposed to be sunny on the Saturday, right? It's just that we're going to get some rain in the days leading up? 
Yeah, you're fine Saturday. You will enjoy Saturday. The turf might not be firm, um, but it sounds as though we may get quite a bit of rain tomorrow and into tomorrow night, um, which is not ideal considering we have several turf stakes both tomorrow and Friday, um, but we should be a-okay for Saturday. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed and talk to me a little bit about how people are now able to attend. What are the current regulations like? Because, of course, we have had quite the year. And indeed, this will be the first Belmont Stakes once again to have fans in attendance. Yeah, it's so great to have fans back. And we've had them back since Derby Day uh, at Belmont Park. And if you are fully vaccinated and you have proof of that, you are welcome to come in. You do not have to wear a mask. Uh, you kind of get uh, to be you know, out and about at the races. If you're not vaccinated, you do have to show proof of a negative COVID um, test. And you're a little bit more limited to where you can go. You have to wear a mask and so on and so forth. But uh, just to have fans back at the track and, and just enjoy. I mean... Racing is all about escaping at the end of the day. Sports in general are about escaping, you know, the burdens of of serious life, if you will. And so just to be at the track and while it's my work and I do take it very serious, it's it's happy again. Um, you know, I know there are a lot of controversies swirling around in the industry, but these are the days that we celebrate and these are the horses that we get to celebrate that put on the great performances and what a card that uh, Naira and the racing office crew have assembled. I mean, what a card indeed. We'll talk about some of the other uh, graded stakes races coming up on the Saturday because there's a total of eight grade one races on offer. I mean, it, it's absolutely stellar. And I thought to yeah. myself, I feel like it's such a treat as a, you know, as a broadcaster, but then coming there as a fan to just actually fully immerse myself in that and take that in. I thought, okay, you know what? This is exactly what you're now mentioning that escapism and enjoying the best thoroughbreds right now that are running, are gathering at uh, Belmont Park. I was about to say Pimlico. I don't know why I was about to say that. You used to gather- say <laughs> <now>. <laughs> That's okay. G- gathering uh, at Belmont Park, and it's just so wonderful. And indeed, as you highlighted, you know, it has been a difficult year, but not even for the aforementioned reasons of, the, you know, COVID, also in our industry. So even to just be able to go to a day like this and just, you know, put all those worries aside and actually enjoy horse racing for what it is, is quite special. So I, I'm personally very much looking forward to it. I think everyone is. So let's get going and let's start with, of course, the most important race on the day, the Belmont Stakes, which is race number 11. We have a fair few races beforehand that I want to talk about because poo, those fields, uh, I was just scrolling through. But let's start with the Belmont Stakes, a mile and a half, eight horse fields, uh, field as it stands. Of course, it's called the Test of Champions. Now, Maggie, why is it so tough for a horse to, if they, for example, would have gone through the Triple Crown races to then also win the Belmont? Why is this the race that so many really struggle? Is it the distance? Is it the track? What what really comes into play here? Well, I think it it's more of a, a modern era type of scenario in that it's truly the test of the champion because we don't race horses as often as we did 
in, you know, yesterday, uh, in the years, um, the early part of the 20th century, horses are, you know, typically raised maybe once a month. And now you're asking a horse to compete at the highest level as a fairly uh, young three-year-old um, and cram in three races in five uh, in five weeks. So, Two, and going a distance that none of them have ever traveled. And yes, you'll see a lot of horses maybe not flying through the wire going a mile and a half, but you know the good ones, they prove to be best, and that's why they are considered the champions. Well, let's talk about the field coming into this. Uh, let's start with the horse that most recently captured the middle leg of the triple crown and that is of course rom bauer the number three uh, trainer michael mccarthy that was his first ever classic runner and winner he did use the pace setup i felt to his full advantage with midnight bourbon medina spirit but was much the best in the end now I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, there were a fair few handicappers on board with Ron Bauer. Unfortunately, I wasn't one of those. Did you have him in your selections? I well, I didn't. Luckily for me, I didn't have to make any public <laughs> selections. But whilst on America's Day at the races, uh, I was hosting. You know, when I'm doing my paddock stuff, I really don't get the opportunity to talk about any racing that's not happening at Belmont or whatever track I'm presently at. Um, but when I do get to sit up on the host desk, and as a host, I should say, I do get to discuss these races. And I was on with Paula Duca. And I, I mentioned him because he was a horse that, yes, he had never won a race on dirt. But each race, he got a little faster, he got a little better. And in his bluegrass, you know, I was half thinking maybe it was a little bit of an optical illusion with essential quality and highly motivated kind of slowing down. But Ron Bauer was really running at the end and he felt like a horse that was always hitting his stride best at the end of his races. And that's what you want for a horse that's maybe trying a longer distance um, than what they have been success successful at in the past. So I wasn't that shocked um, by his Preakness upset. Uh, I admittedly, I liked Midnight Bourbon um, and Crowded Trade, but he was my long shot going in. And he he really pulled away from that field. And yes, maybe he got some fractions to close into, but when you're at this level, they are going to be running along in front of, mm -hmm. you know, in front of them. And it's not like the top two completely evaporated. They finished second and third in here. So I think that's a legitimate performance that we saw from Ron Bauer. And if anything, you know, he kind of moved a touch early down the backside if you if you're if you're giving him more credit. Um so I don't discredit him in this race. I just think he's meeting some high quality, fresh horses. Yeah, that's a very interesting take on it because I, I agree with you here. I actually had to make my selections for for the betting guide. I use Rombar, but I don't use him on top because indeed there are a couple in here that haven't had to race on the 15th of May and are now coming in perhaps a little bit fresher. But Rombar now getting a, a different jockey aboard, a Hall of Famer Johnny Velasquez will ride. How do you think he might suit him? It doesn't matter to Ron Bauer, obviously. But Johnny knows um, what it takes to win a, um, a Belmont. And 
he is going to not allow this horse to get out of the mix because you don't want to be coming from way out of it in the Belmont. You want a horse that can maintain those steady 12 and changes all the way around there and continue to gallop and just maintain that high cruising speed. So Johnny's going to, you know, ask him for that. I, I would envision him sitting in that second flight of horses, but clearly it doesn't matter to Ron Bauer who's on his back because he is going to be the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh jockey that he's had in uh, <laughs> eight starts. <laughs> So talking about the type of horse that you just described and the position that is needed to be, you know, within reach of Belmont Stakes victory, what runner did you land on as your top selection in here? If I can jump the gun here, I know that sure. you make your selections when you get to the paddock, when you have a full look at them, but kind of, you know, early thoughts. Early thoughts are, he was my pick for the Derby. I'm going to stick with him. And that is Hot Rod Charlie. Um, I love his work coming in here at Santa Anita. Um, in which he worked a kind of a special session before the races started uh, with Flavian Pratt aboard. And yes, I didn't think he had that much of an excuse in the Derby, other than the fact that it was somewhat of a quote-unquote merry-go-round race. Nobody really improved their position from behind, and, and Flavian gave him a terrific ride. Um, so there really wasn't that much of an excuse, but I like the progression that he showed in his work preparing for this, and he has shipped in looking phenomenal. Yes, the argument could be made that maybe he is a horse that truly doesn't want a mile and a half um, because he is a half to the champion sprinter, Matoli, who, yes, mm -hmm. did win our Met Mile as well. But by a classic winner in Oxbow, uh, as Dwayne Lucas said, they can all get a mile and a half. It's just how fast they can do it. But I think he's a horse that is learning. Classic. Right. <laughs> That is learning, learning and, you know, learning how to control that speed and how to dole it out. And obviously he's a horse that he doesn't need the lead per se. I don't think one could make that argument that he does, to be fair. Um, but he's going to be sitting right off, I think, of um, Rock Your World in here. So hopefully Rocky World breaks, but I think mm -hmm. the only way that Rocky World wins is to go to the lead. And I think that Hot Rod Charlie just sits that nice, cozy trip right to um, his outside, you know, let him clear, sit to his outside. And that's what I'm hoping for. But essential quality, I do not disrespect him. And I'm not going to be surprised at all if he wins. I love the fact that you picked the same horse as I picked in the Kentucky Derby. I was on the mm -hmm. Hot Rod Charlie train yeah. and I stuck with him as well here for, for oh, anyone good. wanting to read the Expresso betting guide, stuck with him because, yeah, I, I just feel like if he can take that next step and I think that the, as you highlighted, possibly the pace scenario with his draw might work out really well in terms of indeed Rock your world moving forward. I wonder what Franz Go the Ina is going to do because he was actually much more aggressively placed in the Preakness than he's ever been in his entire life. I don't know if they're going to even try to do something similar again, but I think Hot Rod Charlie has that sort of natural gate speed to sit handily of anyone that mm. moves forward. And with that sort of middle draw, he's not going to completely have an entire field come over him on him. Of course, also the field isn't as sizable anyway we have eight runners so in a way in comparison to the kentucky derby that should help him out um, a little bit so i like hot rod charlie as well let's talk about the two-year-old champion uh, essential quality of course you know won the bluegrass and then came into the kentucky derby ran you know a game fourth 
but was, you know, the favorite going in there. How do you rate his efforts in that Kentucky Derby and him going in here? Well, again, you know, he didn't have maybe the cleanest of breaks, but Louis did his best to get some early position whilst going incredibly wide. It was no fault of Louis Saez's whatsoever. Um, it's just the way the race unfolded and it's typically the way the derby unfolded. He tried his best to give him every chance possible. And it was the toughest trip that essential quality has endured in his career. And you, but yet it was the fastest figure fire speed figure, at least that he's ever run. So I don't think he lost anything in defeat. Yes, he lost his perfect record, fine. But a lot of times horses run their best races whilst suffering a loss. Um, I, as you said, this field size, a lot smaller than 19 mm-hmm. um, and less more than less than half of that. And uh, I, like I said, he is probably the highest quality horse that we have in here. And, but you're going to take the worst of it as the favorite. I would think. And that's why I just laid it on the hot rod. Charlie is my top selection. Yeah. Essential quality. I do remember, I think it was JK who highlighted it, that Brad Cox before essential quality ever ran in the Kentucky Derby was kind of touting him as his Belmont horse, that the way he was working at home, he thought he's an out and out sort of, you know, two turn distance horse. So I like that notion. And of course, indeed, as you mentioned, has, that top quality about him but indeed as a favorite as a better I probably will try and find another horse just to find some value in here but I wouldn't surprise at all if essential quality actually uh, enjoys himself in this yeah. considerably smaller field and just and gets a, a, a nice position throughout and tappets have been highly successful in recent times um in the Belmont Tappet tonalist um so I I don't think there's anything about this horse and especially the fact that Brad Cox has been, you know, forwardly thinking about the Belmont being his best race that detracts him from getting a mile and a half. Yeah. Let's talk about the runner that everyone was very intrigued by going into the Kentucky Derby. That is rock your world. And you just alluded to it. He didn't get away in the Kentucky Derby and all of a sudden his main ammo, his weapon, his, his early speed and then his high cruising power was completely gone and he never got into the race, never looked comfortable. Is this going to be an opportunity for him to redeem himself after, of course, that four and a quarter win in the Santa Anita Derby? Well, the one thing you can say as a positive out of the Derby is that he got a lot of learning experience, Um, a horse that had never had dirt kicked in his face. And and that sometimes for horses can be truly something that they have to learn to adjust to. And it, I mean, it was over, not even two strides out of the gate for this guy. I mean, yeah. slammed by essential quality and highly motivated, Joel losing his iron. It, you know, and for a jock, well, you never noticed Joel actually losing his iron until you saw that picture because his leg never moves. Um, you know, it's going to take him a second to readjust, get his iron back. Then he has to think about, oh, what am I going to do with this horse? Because I'm already five to ten lengths behind, not even a sixteenth of a mile in the race. So, it, I mean, it's just, as John Sadler said, it's one that you have to move on. You have to forget about it. And I think they just send and hope for the best. Do I think, yes, he was coming into the Derby with the highest um, buyer speed figure of 
of anyone heading into it. I don't know how I don't know how good he is. I obviously he beat Medina Spirit. Dream Shake will see turning back again in the Woody Stevens. He he beat some decent horses his first try on the on the dirt. I just I can't for whatever reason I can't warm up to this horse just because I feel as though he's not truly battle tested and maybe he is maybe he will be so much more out of the derby out of that you know losing effort but he's just he's just not for me necessarily and and he could win I'm not saying he has no chance he's just not for me. I like the fact that you're saying I just can't warm up to this horse. I have that sometimes with horses too. I'll beat often at a lot lower class level than the grade ones. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I am intrigued uh, to see how Rock Your World will perform because as you highlighted, he just has a lot less experience than some of the others coming in here. Yeah. Notably, for example, Essential Quality, who has been you know, running around for quite some time now and has kind of seen every single scenario that really is intense. Every scenario, every horse, you know, pretty much mm-hmm. every horse in his, in his year, in his crop. Yeah. So, but they did say, to be fair, John Sadler, you know, about his first two starts on the turf, they said that they always felt he was going to be a better dirt horse. They were just trying to ease him into, ease him into it. Well, easing a horse into it is not going to necessarily win you a triple crown race. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, what I kind of read up on on what he said was that they wanted to avoid all the big Bafford monster horses in those right. sort of early but, prep but races, still, giving him that, an easy route. What is? I mean that that does nothing for the horse at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, other than keeping him fresh, keeping him sound, kind of thing, but mentality wise. It does nothing. Yeah, either keep his confidence in a way, but then again, what happened in the Kentucky Derby probably knocked him down a couple of pegs. Right. Yeah. Hmm. It, it's an interesting scenario. Let's uh, talk about a couple of others in the field. Let's talk about the horse that's jumping from the rail, Bourbonic, the Wood Memorial winner, which was you know, an interesting race. I still don't really know where to place that race. And then Bourbonic in the Kentucky Derby obviously didn't have you know the best of trips or times either. What what do you make of this three year old? He's just not that good. As much as I love Todd, <laughs> as much as I love Kendrick, mm. he's not that good. He yeah. for whatever reason, you know, it didn't feel like a race in the Wood Memorial that had a hot pace. Yeah, but time wise, but it did. It evaporated, and the fact that Crowded Trey came back and ran badly in the Preakness. I, I, I mean, this is a horse I broke his maiden for 50. I mean, you know, once you get a horse's confidence, as you were saying, things can really turn around, but he's just not, he's just not as good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, look, I'm not disagreeing with you at all here. I wasn't a fan of him after his Wood Memorial win. I did not use him in my Kentucky Derby selections either. Uh, yeah, just a horse that perhaps is better at a different level, even though, of course, Todd yeah. now newly inaugurated Hall of Famer, massively respect him and love Kendrick. One of the best, you know, like most enjoyable jockeys to watch riding, but especially when you interview him afterwards. <laughs> no, Kendrick has like the best personality um, of, of many. I Don't get me wrong. I get along with with all of them, but um, Kendrick is fun and he's good for the game. And, you know, he gives people a good perspective of, what's going on out there and 
he he really kind of draws people in because he feels like a guy that you can just go up to and you know start a conversation with like hey what's up <laughs> yeah so so approachable and and just yeah. a, a wonderful figure for the sport so definitely enjoy just anytime he gets to the winner's enclosure i can feel the happiness even just right. watching from right. home and i think i think we all need that in our sport for someone to you know to share that with all of us let's talk about the japanese invader france go the ina hideyuki mori trains ricardo santana jr will be aboard now this is this is also i saw in the uae derby uh, in dubai i saw him mm. train beforehand this was actually the Japanese's main hope uh, for the Saudi Derby, but then he had a little bit of setback and he couldn't line up. So, of course, he lined up in the UAE Derby, stood in the gates or maybe basically just didn't jump as quickly yeah. as they wanted him to and, and then had a terrible trip, just never got to run at Maidan. Then in the Preakness, uh, they did tout that they wanted him to be more forwardly placed. Now, there was me saying there's no chance this horse is going to ever go to lead because, you know, American speed against a horse that has never been asked in his entire career to be on the lead or that close to the pace. So I was kind of surprised to see him, you know, indeed jumping well and sitting just a length and a half of the pace makes, which I thought was pretty decent for him, but then he folded. So I'm not entirely certain how, what the game plan will be for this race, because I think perhaps in his best interest, it's to allow him to get into stride like he's done his entire career. Yeah, I I mean, you've seen this horse more than I have. And you can't like his anti I mean, I know I have seen I have seen Japanese horses come over here and they act deplorably. <laughs> Compared to, yeah. <laughs> compared to, you know, what we're used to in, in America, um, mm -hmm. they, it, it, and it just as a horseman, at least an American horseman, you can't endorse a horse that refuses to train, that wheels around, that wants to run off. Like it goes against your nature to endorse a horse like that. And that is what I've seen from this horse. So I... Personally, I don't give him a shot. I probably just put him in the winner circle, but I do not give him a shot in here. Well, he is 30 to 1, so it's, yeah. you know, it's, I, I don't know how much money he'll carry on the day. But it, it's actually interesting that you mention it because I do think that also highlights the difference between American training culture and perhaps in other spots in in the globe. Because, for, for example, we have European runners that are terrible at home to train like really difficult horses difficult to get to the gallops difficult to deal with but absolute beasts on course like very very talented high class group one winning horses that i've had the pleasure of dealing with but that were weren't straightforward at all so for some reason we kind of go oh you know all the good ones are tricky whereas it seems like that's the other case around uh, listening to your opinion here that you kind of want them to be more straightforward and well behaved here yeah i think we put a premium on handling horses in this country where like I know like the Japanese culture is oh if they're a talented cult you kind of you respect them and you don't handle them and you let them kind of get away with anything that they want not to break their spirit and okay fine uh, you know I can I can see the reasoning behind that but you also want a horse that's genuine and a horse that's focused. Um, so that's why, you know, there's a lot of schooling involved. And, and two, to be fair, we are 
yes, we do ship horses around the country, but all tracks are the same and pretty much the majority of horses are trained on the racetrack. So they're used to it. So they come over just innately well-schooled to the races. Um, it, obviously it's just different ways of doing things. It's, it, and it's just my personal preference. And then furthermore, I just don't think he's good enough. <laughs> yeah, that also, but no, I think yeah. it's, it's wonderful the way they, they educate their runners here in the US because for example the practice of when you get onto the track and then you stand them for yeah. a couple of minutes nobody else does that nobody else does that I've not done that when riding out in Australia I've never done that when riding out in the UK or in Ireland I haven't it's done it in Hong Kong either where else did they do it well so it's so nice because too I mean for instance I think it's in great Europe yeah well in Europe you have a long walk or in England or a trot or a however you get to, to your, get yeah. to the gallops. Whereas here, everything's pretty centrally located and, and convenient as far as training and where you're stable and everything. Yeah. You get a nice walk through this, through the, uh, you know, the backside, but they don't get out of their stalls that long. So to give them the chance to just stand and take everything in and look, you're going to come across some that, <laughs> They're never going to stand. They're just <laughs> those ones that want to get on with it. Um, but to have a horse, to teach a horse to do that, I think it's so good for their mentality and just take a breath and enjoy being out of the barn. And, you know, it's 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 great. I think it's phenomenal. I, I think it teaches them patience and, yep. and just a general sort of maturity that it gives them that a lot of other horses in other countries hands don't have because we don't educate them to be patient when getting on to the gallops or the track they literally once they get you know once they lay eyes on the track or the gallop that they go on they start mm -hmm. bouncing up and down they start wanting to get on with things because they know that once you get once your feet get on that you know all weather or whatever service they're training on it's time to do something whereas right. here they are okay with standing and, and just listening to the cues of their riders. I, I, I prefer that. I mean, I've sat on plenty that would whip around and just bounce all the way to the track. So I'm just, I prefer, yeah. I prefer. And I think I, I, I do understand how you highlighted the Japanese culture of not wanting them to get rid of that sort of feistiness and perhaps that race fighting spirit mm -hmm. that they would see in them. I understand that too, but I, I don't think that you, and unless you're ter a terrible horse handler, you're not going to break a cult spirit by just teaching them. No, it's all about focusing and, yeah. and channeling the energy other than just letting it run rampant and, and end up hurting themselves or the rider, or the handler, so on and so forth. It's, you know. Exactly. Right. <laughs> the number six known agenda burst clear in the Florida Derby really impressive victory that day then in the Kentucky Derby wasn't really there either he's the other Todd Pletcher trainee in here by curling do, do we give him any chance or his other three Todd has a handful in here to be quite honest or a bit more larger priced in terms of the, the betting interest but perhaps known agenda is his main interest Absolutely. He's his best shot. The best mm -hmm. shot for Todd to get his fourth uh, Belmont. And um, I had this theory kind of going, I don't know, end of February into March that I just really didn't care for any of the horses for, for once. And this is, this is unusual for any of the horses coming from South Florida as far as three-year-old preps. I didn't like any of them. Um, I thought the horses 
Louisiana, Arkansas, California were probably the ones that you wanted. And um, that sums up known agenda. Like, I just don't <laughs> think that it is taught, like I, like I said, in discussing Bourbonic, it's Todd. So I'm mm-hmm. always going to respect whatever he brings over because so many times you see his horses, they are bottomless. They always find more. And he has been so successful, you know, with horses that maybe didn't even win. And uh, I always think about Commissioner, who I admit I loved in the paddock uh, when he ran in 2014 against and just got beat by Tonalist. Um, so I'm always going to respect Todd, but I just don't think and I'm going to stick with my guns that I don't think the horses coming and preparing out of South Florida this year were as good as several of the other ones. Hmm. So what about his other runner that we've covered the entire field now, if we, when we finish up with the number eight overtook a million dollar baby gets the blinkers on Manny Franco aboard. Of course, Manny Franco, I, I remember him crossing the wire, you know, tis the law, you know, screaming in front of an empty grandstand. Of course he would love to, get a win like this with actual fans in attendance. Yeah, that would be that would be very sweet for Matt for Manny for sure. Um a horse that appears way too slow on paper um mm-hmm. to uh to be a likely winner of this field. You know, it kind of begs the question of where's Promise Keeper from the Peter Pan? Anyway, um but a horse that I think is kind of taken a while to mentally figure things out. They put the blinkers on. I thought that was a little bit interesting. I don't love him to win here, but I thought maybe with the local prep and horses historically doing well coming out of the Peter Pan, he might be able to sniff out a piece of this. Hmm. I like that. So I love the pedigree too. I mean, obviously it costs a million dollars, but <laughs> I yeah. love his pedigree. So in terms of your top three, of course, you were saying Hot Rod Charlie. Is Hot Rod Charlie, Essential Quality, and um, Ron Bauer. I might be, I might be shooting myself in the foot, leaving Rock Your World out. I admit, but I really chalked it out there, to be honest. But um, yeah, Hot Rod Charlie over Essential Quality and Ron Bauer. Yeah, I, I use Hot Rod Charlie. I talk, but look, it's hard not to go with shorter price horses when it's only an eight horse exactly it's it's you know there's only so much you can do and you you want to try and pick the winner so in that case uh, let's talk about some of the other uh, stakes action because as i said earlier eight great ones on the day i mean for anyone loving horse races this is an absolute treat so let's run really quickly through a couple of them we don't have to discuss all of them i can ask you afterwards if i've missed something here um i was looking at the woody Stevens, of course for the three-year-old seven furlongs um, we got drained the clock who was second in the fountain of youth comes in here of a win in the bay sure he nearly wired the field that day in the fountain of youth and then you have champagne stakes victor jackie's warrior returning as well he, he go, goes back to the seven distance after his pat mile pat day mile victory who are you most interested in here jackie is my homie and he has been my homie from day or his second start in the saratoga special i love this horse um i don't care what anybody says he's my guy and he's my pick <laughs> Stevens. Seven furlongs is perfect for him. I know he's probably going to face some pace pressure from Drain the Clock, but there, in my opinion, there's nobody faster from the gate than Jackie's Warrior. I love it. No, I 
I'd love to see him back at the seven furlong distance. I think I think he he will enjoy that as well. Uh, race number five. Now, excuse me, I'm just kind of literally rattling through half of these from what I've seen, what interested me. Of course, the acorn for the three-year-old lady going one the one turn mile. One of my favorite fillies is travel column. Now she's take, taking on narrow Kentucky Oaks second search results. Perhaps she'll have to kind of step it up and it hasn't sort of, you know, grown into that three-year-old that some of the others have but I really still like her in here how much how much do you give her a shot in this spot uh yeah <laughs> I, I, I know no I I agree with you I think because she hasn't it, grown it into what she dynamically needs. dynamically yeah. I don't know how it, it, it seems like at least as a three-year-old now she's much better when she's up close mm-hmm. and I mean her goldenrod win her last race as a two-year-old was phenomenal like visually it was really impressive um but she she's gonna get other pace pressure here isn't she I mean and she's drawn on the inside I just don't necessarily see how she works out a good uh, you know a advantageous trip but I don't mind her getting back to a a one-term mile and you know this race is always very interesting because you have horses kind of stepping back out and trip too whereas some are cutting back yeah no there's plenty of pace in here just quickly looking that the three yeah. miss brazil has a lot of early spills of course day out of office day out of the office is very fast as well and of course search result most likely going to take all the money but she has that beneficial outside draw and stalking exactly. speed doesn't she yeah i just think this race just falls into her lap uh, I've I've questioned her going nine furlongs, and she won easily in the Gazelle, and she near narrowly nearly won the Kentucky Oaks over a filly that I just adore, who is by far the best in this division. So it's going to take a lot to beat search results, I think. Yeah, I, I used her to land on Army Wife in the Black Eyed Susan because I think... I was, loved Army Wife. She oh, was going to take in the Gazelle. She so, was so, yeah. yeah, so good. I think she paid $12 in the Black Eyed Susan, an occasion I both had, and we were smiling that day. That yeah. was because she ran against search results, indeed, in, in the Gazelle, and we and both... And she had trouble. Yeah. yeah, 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 and she did not get a good trip. So, yeah, search I mean, search results incredibly talented filly so mm-hmm. clearly seems to be the one to beat in here uh, the grade one Jaber six furlong sprinting who do you like in here a lot of them <laughs> i know because that's why i literally just threw it to you because i'm like you know what i'm not Turf sure here <laughs> are so tough to gauge i mean mm-hmm. this is a outstanding race i have a lot of respect for Bound for Nowhere. He doesn't race that often. He kind of races by appointment. The seven-year-old only making his 16th start of his career. But he is ultra-talented, winning you know half of those. And Wesley Ward, you kind of have faith in Wesley Ward. And the argument could be made that six furlongs might be his best distance. Um, but I think you have to respect the two mares. Um especially got Stormy cutting back. We saw what happened when she cut back last year um, and she handles given the ground. If anything, I think she likes it maybe a little bit more at, at times and she's likely to have that give. I think she's very interesting. And, you know, for a turf sprint, there really isn't that much pace. So it's kind of hard to make out who's going to go to the lead in here. I mean, May, I mean, I would think, I don't even know who goes to the lead in here. 
that's the problem. I mean, I've gone through it and looked through it. I mean, I guess Bound for Nowhere could if he wanted to. Um, you know, it's funny, all the horses that I guess completed pass could be close. There's a lot of horses kind of turning back. So, so it's like, a really I, I obviously race. knowing knowing completed pass from this circuit here, I don't think they really want him on the lead. It seems like he does his best running just laying off it. So Absolutely. I think but, if they could help it, they're gonna let someone else, you know, I mean, set he it up. Have a win on the front. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I see. I totally see what they're saying, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's one of those strange races where who knows? I mean, I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a very strong opinion in here. I want to like got Stormy turning back because part of me thinks she is um, probably very talented at the six. And last year, you know, it kind of took her, I'm willing to forgive her for the, um, the distaff turf mile. There's so many ways to go in here. It's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) You can even say Sombaye, who had a bit of trouble, um, in the, the turf sprint, one by fast boat, but both of those horses are deep, kind of more like deep closing sprinters. So where's this, the scenario that sets up for them? I'm probably against, bound for nowhere. Bound for I mean, nowhere. maybe I'm overcomplicating yeah. this, but bound for nowhere probably goes to the lead and just destroys this field because he's probably best. <laughs> yeah, even well, even just looking at his pace figures, the the early quarters he's been able to set yeah. in the past means that he yeah. seems faster early than anyone in here. So yeah. if Wesley Ward is reading it like we we are, then you know maybe he <laughs> he'll be like, "Hey, turf- Joel, right? He has the best turf sprint rider on his back." Yeah. Exactly. Let's move on to probably the race that is my favorite behind the Belmont. Race seven, the grade one Ogden Phipps. My notes here said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is this is amazing. Mile and 16, four-year-old and up. Of course, we have the three-year-old champion Swiss skydiver, Preakness heroine, and one of my all-time favorite fillies because she was the first Preakness I attended in person. And that was incredible. Rematch with Latruska, who bested her in the apple blossom. And then you add in the 2020 Kentucky Oaks victors. She dares the devil in the mix as well. I mean, embarrassment of riches, it feels mm-hmm. like. I, I'm so much looking forward to this. I wish I understood what what happened with Swiss Skydiver at the, in the apple blossom. Mm. I don't know, other than maybe the other two are just better than her. That's hard to, that's hard to say. That's hard to make a case of, though. Um, when you consider that she beat a horse of the year. So, <laughs> you know, and Latruska is very good. She's very good, but she is best when she controls, I think. Yeah. She's best. It's not as if she's, you know, completely outclassed when she can't control, but what does she dares the devil do? She dares the devil's going to breathe down her neck or a takeover. Exactly. That, that's what I'm thinking. So... Part of me thinks Valiance is kind of interesting. I know she has a layoff to, to overcome, but she's kind of like the fresh unknown face that goes out for Todd, who is phenomenal bringing horses back off these layoffs in dirt routes. And I mean, her her three dirt races, I know one was an off the turf race, but the Spinster and the Breeders' Cup Distaff performance was, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you here. It's... It's actually a race that, you know, in terms of my 
Sometimes I'd like to, to come up with my picks a little bit more with the heart than with the head. I'm still going to stick with Swiss Skydiver because I don't blame you. If she turns up at her yeah. best, yeah, she can she's have a winner. Them all. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But is she going to? Because if you now start looking through her pattern, she runs some races at her peak ability and some races she just kind of flattens a little bit, it seems. that she Well, just... she kind of does have that good race, bad race, at least, mm-hmm. you know, from the middle of last year on. Um, and if you buy into that theory, then she's sitting on one of her good races. Yeah, I like that. Let's go, <laughs> let's go with that one. She's right? sitting on, she's sitting on a good, but I love Valiance though, four to one morning line. Indeed, haven't seen her since November the 7th. That is quite the layoff though. I, I know that you're saying, of course, Todd is very, very good with it. You can just look at his stats and, and know that he's fine with it. But, you know, for her, she had a bit of a break. If you look, what is it? The 30th of June to the 16th of May. Came back running okay. Yeah, not but great. Not, you know, not lights out. No. No, you're right. You're right. Um, but I like, um, no, was don't get me wrong. I like it. I like it. I like yeah. your angle here. I think yeah. it's very, very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I. Uh, it's, a, it's a great race for sure um, to see all these these fillies or, and or mares going at it. Oh, it's it's a stellar race. It's it's definitely the one I'm I'm looking forward to. Maybe m- most just after the Belmont, if I can say that. Nearly more. I just I love these these girls have all just you know shown what they've they're made of, and can't wait to see who comes out on top in here. The Long Jeans Just a Game race number eight, one mile on the turf. This is quite the race as well. I mean, of course, Chad Brown very heavily handed in here, but just a couple of unknown factors coming in as well with charlie appleby in the eighth and the nine where do you start here well i mean these two horses have been here um for quite a while i mean they were Mm -hmm. in quarantine obviously so you can't do too much at that point um but they have been here and um i mean i think summer romance is okay um she uh, I know her European form might be a little bit dirtied up at times, um, but, and look, her and Althika, they have kind of, you know, flopped back and forth as far as who's winning races, uh, but they they are legitimate contenders in here. I don't, I mean, you're probably more versed at judging that, you know, that Maidan and Dubai form. It's It's very tricky. Uh, looking at how yeah. it transits but it does it dead honest it more depends who they raced against in Maidan because if you have the Euros coming over for the sure. carnival which they frequently do then those races are very strong as well as when the Japanese have horses situated down there so I actually need to just go through their like their running lights to see exactly who they raced again because if it's just the local horses, I don't always find it as strong. Absolutely, yeah. But if it's against, you know, the Euros who love the Dubai Racing Carnival, then it's pretty solid. Now, just, you know, looking at face value, I'm not sure how strong the Cape Verde and the Balanchine Balanchine no, it doesn't, were, they don't honest. look that strong, no, do they? No, like that, based on those running mm, lines. Yeah, just quickly looking at it, thinking, no, I don't think those were that strong. But as you mentioned, they both have European form as well. and, and some Yeah, of but they weren't were running decent. that well against them. That's, that's yeah. the thing. And it, it, but, so, it's only, but it does feel, in a way, if you're looking at the kind of intangible part of it, that they were brought over here with a purpose. You know, they were... Yeah 
immediately targeted to these races here in New York, um, you know, Belmont weekend. So at least there's always been a plan. And when I find that you always have a straight and true plan and you can follow through with it with a horse, it's usually better than just kind of an afterthought of, oh, well, you know, she probably like U.S. racing. Let's stick her on the plane and run her kind of thing. So, um, Charlie Appleby does premeditate his you know, his decisions. He certainly, and even just looking at the running style, I thought Summer Romance has the style to suit here. She tends to go yeah. to the lead, which means she has early speed, which sometimes European horses coming over don't always have. No. Kind of get caught out a little bit at the back yeah. end and then can't make up the ground. So I think Summer Romance, I mean, that's that tends to be my tactic when I look at the British Cup races, which horses are at least capable of sitting close to it. So that if they sit close or on the lead at home, they'll be mid pack here and that's still okay. So yeah. that was, yeah. obviously that is overgeneralizing it massively, but it I, mean, I don't think she's going to be blowout to the right end. <laughs> Let's put it no. that way. No. <laughs> so who, who else do you like in here? Uh, Tama here um, for Chad Brown, who obviously holds a strong, um hand in this race as he typically does and um i thought that first race here in the states was pretty impressive in the sands point she didn't run great in um the matriarch but kind of a race more dominated a little bit more towards the front end and last time she was a bit too fresh um coming in and still had energy finishing so i like that i like if a horse you know, if they want to get a little keen and they want to fight a rider, but yet they still have a bit left in the tank, it always speaks of how well they're doing and that they still can improve. So I think Tommy here is uh, very formidable in this spot. I think this is a wonderful betting race as well. Absolutely. You just so look. many ways to go. Yeah. Now, don't forget, you're prob- probably going to lose to. Um, with uh, Regal Glory and Sweet By and By um, also entered in the Intercontinental. But with a lot of rain, you don't know if that might be rained off. I right. think I th- I definitely know Regal Glory will win no matter what the turf condition is, as long as it's on the turf. Um, so we'll see what Sweet By and By does if she stays in the Intercontinental or opts to run in the um, Just a Game. Yeah, be good to keep an eye on because uh, obviously yeah. it will change the board massively. I can tell that, you know, it's getting later at night. I know that you have to get up early as well. Let's quickly finish things off with the Met Mal, unless you have any other races that you still wanted to highlight as well. Um, I will say I really like Masterpiece in um, the Manhattan and uh, Chad Brown looking for his eighth win, I believe, in the Manhattan, which is insane. Um, seventh or eighth. And uh, I I really like Masterpiece. Uh, for a horse that I thought looked heavy when he ran in the Joe Hurst Turf Classic, his first race, um, obviously in uh, five months, mm-hmm. and still ran a 102. Then he comes back off another layoff and runs a 103. yes. In an allowance race, but it could have been a state race. It could have been a grade three. Um, and still gets it done. The fact that he's finally getting to pair races back to back for Chad Brown, I think this horse could be on the up and up. He's already run triple digit buyer figures faster than several other horses in here. Um, so I think he's very intriguing. 
Oh, I like that angle. Of course, a race that, once again, Chad Brown holds a pretty strong hand in uh, once more, as we're kind of accustomed to seeing on the New York circuit at the top level turf events. That is race number 10, the Great One Manhattan amount a quarter on the turf. And yeah, let's talk about the Met Mao. I mean, uh, Carter winner mischievous Alex in here. Maryland bred, Nick's go, a British Cup dirt mount winner, Pegasus World Cup winner coming back here after, you know, running quite strongly at the beginning in the Saudi Cup, but just burning himself up there early, of course, with Charlatan. And then we saw Mishrif uh, taking over, making full use. And Mishrif backed up with that with another win. I'll be on the turf in Dubai. So clearly a very good race horse. But just, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Nick's go come back. Excuse me, I am too. Um, but I think there's some other very talented horses in here. I mean, what is he going to do with mischievous Alex on the inside, who's stretching out in distance? I mean, yeah. not that mischievous Alex needs a lead, but don't you feel as though he's somewhat naturally faster? Um, maybe not. I mean, Nixco can definitely go fast if he needs to. I mean, look at his, uh, you know, Dirt Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile race. Fine. Um, yeah, I have a lot of love for Silver State. I absolutely, and this is me in my physical assessment of horses, mm-hmm. I absolutely fell in love with him when I watched him in the Oakland Handicap. And this is, yeah, I mean, this is the best quality field that he's faced. But Fearless isn't a bum, although he likes to finish second and third more than he likes to win sometimes. <laughs> um, but uh, I think he benefits from getting back to getting back to a mile at one turn. He's not without speed. He can lay wherever Ricardo Santana wants him. And he is chasing his sixth win in a row. And he's kind of just a fun horse to watch and root for. I like it. Seven to two morning line. And I must admit that as a rider, Ricardo Santana Jr., you know, seeing him then come down to Pimlico and do incredibly well there as well. He's just- Riding an Arabian, by the way. (laughs) Going back to his Delaware days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the Arabian race after the Preakness is always kind of the, the sign the sign off race. And I must admit, every time I see the horses warm up, I'm like, you know Ooh. what? <laughs> please stay what? on. Yeah. yeah, please stay on because yep. you know, they, they have their heads up and they like to spin around whenever they feel like it. And they like to look at everything and do whatever they would like because Arabians have a very strong character will yeah yeah um, they don't move quite as smoothly and sturdily as a thoroughbred does (laughs) no they don't have their speed either so right right (laughs) yeah it's it's actually fun because last year i did i handicap well tried to handicap the race obviously my, my arabian racing knowledge only goes to a certain extent but I tried to handicap them by looking at them walking into the paddock. And my theory was is that they look more like a thoroughbred. They might be faster. Because some of them look, you know, have a fair bit of blood in them. Yeah. yeah and I remember definitely. in the UAE, that's what I used to do. And it kind of tended to work out well enough. Let's just put it yeah. like that. Well enough. And well, um, if it worked, I am not going to take that away from you because that, I mean, so, it makes a lot of sense. That, that's that's my theory now. If you handicap Arabian races, you pick the one that looks and behaves most like a thoroughbred. And also okay. I like the ones that actually put two or three races back to back together because a lot of them go in and out very sharply. 
Yeah. And, oof, that just, if there's anyone that's consistent, I will go with the horse that at least well, will the try. The horse that Ricardo won on, I mean, wasn't that like his 30th win or something? I think something like that. He was an older yeah. horse. Yeah. Yeah, like was, a nine-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Which was quite... Oh, absolutely incredible. Look, I, I'm mm-hmm. not an expert on Arabians, but if there's Neither a horse I. that turns up every single time, we like that in thoroughbreds too. So I'm just going to reapply the, the known principles <laughs> there. But yeah, so Silver State, to get back to the Met Mal here, she got a nice sort of toe into it because he likes coming from just a couple of lengths behind. And as you mentioned, there's enough speed in here to kind of bring him along. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I kind of thought about it and, and kind of drew it up in my head. And he obviously liked Oakland a lot. Um, it's a a very different configuration. I'm not saying, you know, what, if a horse loves Oakland, they're going to hate Belmont. But at least looking at him physically, he seems like a horse that should actually like these bigger sweeping turns that we have at Belmont and just going around one turn too. So, um, and he's just... He's a gorgeous animal. I mean, he has the most intelligent head and eye on him, and he's big and he's strong and he's just so classy. So I'm just a fan of his. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the flesh. Now, I've obviously I've never seen it, but I've seen his sire hardspun on mm-hmm. many a occasion at Johnabel. So definitely wouldn't mind seeing how much this four year old might look like him. Maggie, I'm going to let you go because are you still riding out in the mornings? Are you still getting up early as well to I ride out for Tom? at times when my mom is here to watch the girls. So, yeah. <laughs> what time What time does the track open at Bum? What time would you be on a horse? Well, so when it's the first day, first race day after a dark day, and my mom gets here at 8, and then I go out then. But when she's, you know, here the subsequent days, I will go out at about 5.30. Oof. I mean, yeah. Tom must be very happy to see you walking into the barn. So he can be like, yes, Maggie, we've got a few for you. Yeah, well, actually, I'm just working with my pony at the moment. He doesn't need me. So actually, I've, I've been helping Toby Cheats here and there. I'm the oh. assistant for Steve Asmussen here at Belmont. Oh, that's um, wonderful. You yeah. must be able to, you know, at least see a fair few lovely types in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, Maggie, keep up the good work. Everyone massively enjoys listening to your insight uh, at Belmont in the paddock or anywhere where you're in the paddock for that matter. Oakland Park, uh, your physical nose. I personally love, uh, you know, listening to your view and your takes on it and just how horses are developing. So thank you so much. And of course, I'll I'll see you Saturday. I'm so looking forward to it. And thank you for having me on. As always, thank you, Maggie, so much for your time and graciously sharing your insights with us. Of course, head over to In The Money Media for all the other insights provided by some of our astute handicappers on the network, how to play all the exotic wagers at Belmont coming up because it is a day that you want to get involved. Now for me, I'm going up as a fan. I can't remember the last time I went to the race course without having to work. So needless to say, I'm incredibly 
excited about this. I'm going to be driving up after work on Friday. So working Pimlico Friday during the day, driving up after work with my boyfriend Alejandro. And then we're just going to enjoy, have a, an adult beverage, um, as uh, some of the team members at In The Money Media like to call it. And uh, place a wager or two. Really looking forward to seeing that side once again because oof, that that's that's the special part. Just being there, soaking in the atmosphere, placing a few wagers, checking out all the horses in the paddock. Yep, y- you can tell. I'm looking forward to it. So thank you once again for joining me this week. I hope it helped you in your preparation for the big card that is coming up uh, on Long Island this weekend and of course I hope you enjoy your weekend yourself Tessa you'll be tuning in Uh, the Fox Sports shows will be carrying all the action of course uh, on YouTube you can watch everything as well and at Pimlico we still have the Rainbow Pick 6 carryover that keeps on growing so check that one out I am on air on Friday and then taking uh, two days off Saturday and Sunday going sightseeing on Sunday very much Looking forward to it. In the meantime, check out all the In The Money Media channels for the usual diverse offer of content. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And otherwise, just go to the website, inamodipodcast.com. And I always post mine on Twitter as well. That's at Naomi Tucker. So plenty of opportunities for you to... uh, Learn something, be entertained, hopefully place a successful wager or two, or just in general, pass the time if you're walking your dog or whatever you like to do. I tend to listen to podcasts when I'm walking, trying to get that step count in. Better than sitting on the couch, I always thought. Anyhow, glad you were with me once again this week and uh, catch you again next week. Stay safe. <laughs>